This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. I'm your host, Casey Finey, and this is Creative Conversation, a Fast Company podcast. Last week, I had Ellen Pompeo on the show, and the theme of making something old feel new again kept popping up. I mean, she's been on Grey's Anatomy for 18 seasons, so who could blame her? I wanted to dig into this idea more, and I came across a research paper titled Unconventional Consumption Methods and Enjoying Things Consumed, Recapturing the First-Time Experience. It's perfect, right? So I reached out to Ed O'Brien, Associate Professor of Behavioral Science at the University of Chicago and one of the authors of this paper, to break down how we can all find new ways of tackling something we think is too familiar or boring. All right, Professor O'Brien. <laughs> I feel like I should use you know, formal titles for this. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Ed is fine. Ed is totally fine. Okay, we'll go with Ed. So I asked you on the podcast because last week I spoke with actor and producer Ellen Pompeo and asked her what her greatest creative challenge has been throughout her career. So I'm going to play you what she said, and then we'll talk. There are no boxes for creativity. Whether you're baking a pie or decorating a room, or figuring out how to make a scene that you've done 30 times, how to make it feel fresh and and new again, which is the hardest piece of creativity. It doesn't get enough credit. It's very easy to be creative when you're doing things for the first time, right? Right. (laughs) Very easy. Everybody can be creative when you've never done this scene before. Can you do the same exact scene in the same room that you've done it a thousand times before? And can you stay present and make that scene good? To me, that's the ultimate creative challenge. So that conversation led me to your research. So I ask you, how can we make something old feel new again? Yeah, sure. So my degree is in social psychology. So I'm formally trained as a, as a social psychologist. Basically, what we study at a broader level is kind of the interaction between content and context. Mm. So something I'm really interested in is, is thinking about this in terms of enjoyment and, and how can people have you know, more, more lasting experiences. Just as a, as a starting point of a simple example, you can think about any experience having both content and context that kind of come together to affect our, our reactions to it, our, our perceptions of it, and so forth. Take a cup of coffee. How good or bad the coffee tastes depends on two things. One is the content of the coffee. Like, are these beans any good? Is it actually good? And the other is the context in which we're drinking it. So, you know, what's our mood? Are we alone? Are we in public? Did we recently drink coffee before? All of these things also come together to to shape what we think of this cup right in front of us. There's one really obvious thing you can do if something grows stale, which is flip out the content, right? This is very intuitive to us. If something gets boring to you, just go do something else, find something else to do. Right. <laughs> uh, that's changing the beans, so to speak. That's changing the content. In our research, we're interested in, well, can we also kind of pull the other lever? So if we're stuck with the same old thing, it's the same coffee right in front of us, we can't flip it out. Well, if context also matters, maybe we can change the context, right? Experience this thing in a brand new way. Maybe that also can affect our enjoyment and happiness for it. So that's basically what we set out to test in this project. And indeed, what we find is holding constant the actual thing. So something that has grown stale for you, you do find it boring. Um, If you can get people to consume it in a different way, it's a new context in which they're experiencing it. 
that seems to also bleed into these overall perceptions of how fun it is, how, in, how enjoyable it is. And we can kind of recapture the excitement of, of a first time experience to some extent by consuming an old thing in a brand new way. Hmm. And what's an example of that? Yeah. So, um, so in the paper, we do a couple different studies. Again, these are kind of small laboratory studies looking at enjoyment, but we can think about kind of broader parallels. Um, so for example, in our first study, we did an eating taste test in the lab. And eating is a good domain because it's very clear that the more you eat of the same exact food over and over again, you're going to grow sick of it. Right. This is just kind of a basic uh, biological reaction. So we exploited that in our, in our study. We had people repeatedly eat the same popcorn over and over and over again. If you just map out enjoyment ratings over time, you see this unsurprising effect that enjoyment goes down. But then we tried to give them a new context. So again, it's the same exact popcorn. It's the same exact stomach that's getting full, except for some participants, we gave them chopsticks. And we said, now we want you to eat this popcorn with chopsticks. Have you ever done that before? And they said, no. Have you ever thought about doing that before? They said, no. We said, great. So this is a brand new way for you to eat popcorn. And lo and behold, what we find is once they continue the taste test, their enjoyment ratings go back up. They kind of rebound from their full stomach and they start to say things like, oh, this tastes pretty good. This is interesting to me again. I no longer feel as full. These kind of psychological reactions akin to having a fresh start, even though the thing itself, the popcorn remains the same, approaching in a different way kind of changes people's attention and in turn changes people's experience. Oh, that's interesting. So I, I'm wondering how this can be applied to work. I mean, going back to Ellen Pompeo's problem of being stuck in a rut, which I think is so relatable for a lot of people in the creative space, how can this research be applied to everyday work? Of course, yeah. Welcome to the human experience. This is something we all, we all face. You can think about this research joining lots of others out there in psychology that, that again, highlights the power of context in you know, where we are affects what we do. And so you can think about work context to the extent that you can literally go to a different situation. If you have that luxury of not having to go to the same office five days a week, so to speak, that's right from wisdom from the psychology literature. Uh, just put yourself in a new environment. Working from a cafe one day a week has real psychological benefits in terms of kind of freshening up your kind of mental space. One thing that I do in, in my work, so the creative output, so to speak, for academics is writing papers. That, that's what we do. And of course, writing, as many of your listeners can probably identify with, writing is just an enormously frustrating space for creativity. Yes. <laughs> the, the writer's block, you know, blank, blank word document is real for all of us. Um, one thing that I try to do that, I get this is anecdotal, but I'm thinking about, um, thinking about a lot of the research out there that, that might inform this. So after I write something, so, you know, of course, we all share our drafts with friends and colleagues and rewrite and rewrite and rewrite. By the time it, it's finally kind of ready to go for me, I then put the whole document in a totally different font, like a really weird looking font. And it's you know, mm. different sizes and different colors, maybe. And then I reread it like that. And at least for me, anecdotally, what, what I think that's doing is forces me to engage with this thing in a new way, right? So again, this is kind of akin to our content versus context idea that mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's the same words on the page, but now I'm, I'm, I literally have to think differently about them because it's going to take me extra time to read them and process them. And, and I notice in that experience that that subtle change of context often brings to light different kinds of ideas. So I'm thinking, oh, this line doesn't really work. Or now that I'm hearing this out loud in my head, I don't like this section or this section needs to be expanded in a way that, you know, if, if I kept the same old font, I don't think I would approach that, that content the same way. So again, to your question, if there is anything you can do to change the situation, 
if you're stuck with the same old thing, the same rut, psychologists have long shown that, that again, that's kind of a subtle trick for you to kind of think about the stimulus in a fresher way. So again, literally going to the coffee shop one day a week, there's real benefits to that. But even if you can't do that, again, thinking about the analogy of you changing the font of your paper, right, forces you to engage with those words in a subtly different way, but a powerfully different way. And please tell me you changed the font to wingdings. Please tell me you did that. I I will next time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) We're going to take a quick break. And when we're back, Ed explains why that thing you're so bored of may not be boring at all. This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. Since you've done this research, which was what, back in 2018, have you been following this along? Like, has there been any any evolution in your findings or any updates? Yeah, so we very much still are interested in, in these ideas. Um, one thing that has emerged since that initial paper is kind of a, a broader framework for understanding how people think about things they no longer find fresh. Like, like, what is it about people's perceptions of boredom and staleness that informs their reactions and their behavior? And you know, one thing that, that my lab is looking at these days is questioning that assumption altogether. So let's take a step back and think about the things that we think are stale. Are they actually stale if you force yourself to engage with them? And one thing we find is for lots of different stimuli, lots of different experiences out there, they strike our mind as being stale. Like, you know, our minds are quick to conclude, kind of been there, done that. Like you've seen one plot of one TV show and you say, yeah, I've seen it all before. But if you force yourself, for example, in, in my world, if you force our research participants to continually engage with that same thing, the thing that they would say, I don't want to do that anymore, it's boring. Well, if you kind of force them to do it for a longer period of time, they end up reporting things like, you know, I found a lot of new things to do and I didn't realize it had these many components. And they basically come away from their sustained repeat experience saying, oh, that thing was fresher than I thought. Hmm. And so... That's kind of where our lab is going these days, again, again, kind of questioning the basic assumption that things are as stale as we think they are. Right. Oh, that's so interesting to me. I mean, so do you find that people just automatically slip into that mindset of thinking something stale? Because as you mentioned, this is it sounds as if people are calling something stale when it's really not to them. So I guess like how do you, how do you reach that point of of falsely accusing <laughs> something of being stale? Because I think to identify that would help people to avoid that in a way. So I guess like, how do people reach that point of thinking that of, of their brain tricking them into thinking that something is actually stale when it's not? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a great question thinking about when that's true and when that's not true. So you can, right. can guide what you're repeating or not. You know, I will say thinking about the research more generally out there on this topic. I mean, people are more boring than they think they are. That, you know, they, that, that's one way to summarize a lot of the work out there, that we, we think we really crave you know, something flashy and new and variety is the spice of life. But at the end of the day, if you, right. if you look at what people do and you know, the things they watch and listen to in their everyday routines, it's remarkably similar from day to day. We get a lot of pleasure out of familiarity. And so back to, to this question of you know, what kinds of things are worth repeating versus what kinds of things are worth, new things are worth chasing, you know, I would encourage anyone who, who reads our stuff to give anything a shot, at least one more chance than what you might normally do. So again, you, know, you can't stick around forever waiting for the good stuff to come out. But whenever you hit that wall thinking, been there, done that, 
also try to think to yourself, well, have I done this like one more time? Maybe there's, there's, there's a little bit more out there that I'm not seeing. Hmm. That alone could be an easy heuristic, an easy kind of shortcut that it's not always going to you know, yield a pot of gold. But I think you might be surprised that the novelty that's left remaining and what seems old and familiar explains a lot of different kinds of experiences out there. It's, it's not just a, kind of an exceptional case. Right. I, wow. You saying that we're, we're more boring than we think we are really, really touched, touched my soul because I immediately Not my intention. Of, not my intention. No, no, because it's true. Because I find myself, even just something, the simple act of like listening to the same music over and over again, like I just find myself like having to think, wait a minute, I've listened to this playlist like for the past two months, nothing but this. I should probably step outside of it. But listening to it, like it's something familiar. Kind of it gives me joy. And so I guess maybe there just needs to be a rebranding of the term boring. It's not exactly it's not exactly that bad of a thing. Exactly. It's just a quick, I think you'll find the study kind of funny. So one example of this in our studies, we had participants look at different kinds of enjoyable images. So mm-hmm. for some of them, the image was very complex. Like there's a lot of there's a lot of new stuff that you can look at the longer you look at this. So it's a big collage of, of nature images and so forth. And what we do is flash that collage for a few seconds. Participants tell us how much they enjoyed it. And then we ask them, so what is it going to be like if you keep looking at this thing? And here is where we find that the biggest kind of problem for people underappreciating repetition. They're, they're quick to say, yeah, I got it. That was a collage of nature images. It's going to be boring the more I see it. And of course, if you force them to relook at it, they notice all of these new things and they find it a lot cooler than they thought. To your question, we even find this effect in a different condition when the image is extraordinarily simple. So literally, I think we use an image of just a blue dot. It's just a blue dot. And we show the blue dot to participants for a couple seconds. They say how much they enjoyed it. And then they predict how enjoyable it will be to keep looking at this same simple blue dot. And even there we find that again, participants tell us, no, that's going to be boring. It's a waste of my time. If you force them to look at the blue dot, they say, oh, that was pretty cool. I, I could look at that blue dot over and over hmm. again, right? It's, it's back to this idea of maybe we're a little bit more, more boring than we like to think of ourselves, right? There, there's, there's immense pleasure to just you know, repeating simple, enjoyable things as much as there can be for the complex and, and the various out there. Right. And so, I mean, for, in, in your research, do you find that people, because this is obviously a, in a controlled setting where you're asking people to do these things. And so in just sort of, I guess, like, what would be your advice to people in kind of an everyday situations? Is it just being aware of looking for those new things? I guess, like, what, how would you apply this in a practical setting for people who are experiencing things, something over and over again? How can they go about really paying attention and, and really like receiving something new from it? Yeah, you know, a lot of a lot of the wisdom from psychology is a little bit frustrating in that it amounts to you need to do more reflection and you know just, <laughs> you need to think think more you know spend another minute than you might normally would just thinking about your experiences reflecting on why you feel the way you feel it's frustrating because it takes work but the flip side is just small moments of reflection are shown to go a long way so for example in the context of what we're talking about here one thing I try to do is almost imagine kind of a a percent experienced gauge that after I, you know, I watch a show or visit a city or go to a restaurant, whatever experience you want to think about here, after I do that thing once, I try to actively reflect on, well, what percentage of this did I actually experience, right? If, if I'm thinking about a meter, like how full is that experienced meter? Now that's imperfect. Maybe I'm guessing incorrectly. And it, it, again, it's not kind of a 
it's not a fail-safe strategy, but just that extra moment of reflection often gets me to realize, oh, wait, there were you know, 49 other items on the menu. I only ordered one. Or, oh, there's you know, 100 different attractions in the city. I only did a, a handful. Realizing that helps, I think, calibrate people's you know, predictions about what it's like to repeat and potentially even guides them to dive deeper, right? It's not just getting a surface level pass, but really trying to pursue a deeper experience through that kind of reflection. Hmm. So I guess in a way to, to kind of summarize what we've been talking about, it's really about reflecting on what you've done or the things that you think you've done, really making sure that you've gone as far as you can. And once you have gone as far as you can, trying to find a new way to approach it, to kind of go over again. It sounds like, you know, it's like, what as you mentioned, like that meter, once it's making sure that it's actually full, and once it's full, then you can step back and be like, okay, let me put this in a different font. <laughs> so. Exactly, exactly. In decision research, people often talk about for any kind of interaction, not just enjoyable experiences, but trying to think more wisely in everyday life, constantly asking yourself, what could prove me wrong? And what might I be missing? And kind of rehearsing those two questions in your head pretty much after anything you do, is a longstanding wisdom in the psychology literature. Again, to try to fill in those mental gaps that without reflection, we often don't realize are there. Mm. Oh, that's so fascinating. And I can't. I, I ask this of all my guests at the end of the podcast, and I would, I'm dying to hear your response given everything we've talked about, but how have you come to define creativity? Great question. Um, I would say, you know, being creative is being able to see every possible side of the same old thing before moving on to something new. Mm. Um, I think there's a big power in um, deepening our experiences. Have we really like, you know, peeled off all of the layers of this onion before we discard it? I think the most creative individuals out there are the ones that don't necessarily have a hundred different things on, you know, going on that they're look how spread out they are across so many different domains and so many different ideas it's the people that have maybe one idea that they've looked at from every possible angle. And that, you know, they realize that there's still so much value in that thing that they're not going to let go wasted, that they're going to kind of reap all of the utility out of this experience, this idea, whatever the case may be, before going to something new. To me, that's the mark of a truly creative person. Oh, I love that. Oh, Ed, this was wonderful. Thank you. I really appreciate it. No, thank you, Casey. This is great. I'll make sure this reaches Ellen Pompeo. I'm sure she'd appreciate it. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Thanks, man. Uh. Thanks for listening to Creative Conversation. As always, make sure you rate, comment, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. And I'll see you next week. <laughs>